Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Today, I have my friend Tatiana Coots on, who is the founder of Birth Waves and Midwifery, who uh, also is in San Diego. So listeners out there, if you're in the San Diego area and you're looking for a midwife, you're not going to find anyone better than Tatiana. I follow her on Instagram. I've learned so much about her. And recently, she posted about being a midwife that doesn't have children. And for me, You all know, I also don't have children. And sometimes I get a little pushback from people that are like, well, how can you help me have my babies if you don't have babies of your own? And one of my favorite things to challenge people on is, do you ask your male OB if they are able to properly help you have your babies? Since, you know, of course, they don't even have the genitalia that it takes to have babies. It's just so funny to me when people want to challenge birth workers in not having their own children, yet you know, we're able to do this job. So Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Um, That is obviously the first place kind of our brains go is like, hey, well, it's okay that we don't have kids because there's all kinds of professions in this world that you don't have to have a, an embodied experience to be able to be a good professional. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I have a close nurse friend. um, Hey, Julie. And she talks about all the time. So she's been a nurse for a lot of years. So she has worked on a lot of floors and she talks about that. She didn't need to have colon cancer to properly take care of people who had colon cancer. She didn't need to have breast cancer to properly take care of people who had breast cancer. She doesn't need to have, um, you know, X, Y, and Z to be able to properly take care of these people. And I think that is so interesting when we try to equate experience and education to also having had that same experience. It's so bizarre to me that people always think that doulas and midwives should already have their children themselves in order to do this work. But we never ask that of male OBs. We're never like, hey, you have a penis. So can you please explain to me how you're going to help me have my babies? Right. And I really feel like when you're wanting somebody with birth experience, uh, somebody who's given birth before, um, like, where do you draw the line with that? Because, okay, let's just put it out there that you're planning 
a like more natural birth without interventions. What if your doula or your doctor or your nurse midwife has only ever had C-sections? Or what if they've only ever been induced? Or what if they always chose an epidural? And same thing, what if you want an elective C-section? What if you want an epidural? And then the people who are on your birth team have only ever had unmedicated birth. You know, there's only so far that you can really specify and tailor uh, your birth team to match the birth experience you desire. And then also what would happen? I mean, let's say you hired a doula who has had um, a hypnobirth before and you really want like a hypnobirthing type birth. But what happens if your birth takes a turn and you need a C-section, are you still gonna be able to feel comfortable and supported by that person when you specifically chose them because they quote unquote achieved their hypnobirthing birth vaginally? I mean, there's only so far that you can go. And then as parents will learn, there's all kinds of just dips and turns that their journeys can make when it comes to what their labor looks like, what their birth looks like, what their postpartum period looks like, what breastfeeding looks like. Um, so I just think that it's asking to feel a little bit more unsupported when you're being so specific instead of focusing on really connecting with the person and having a birth team that you trust. So that was my next question. So if we're not looking for the prerequisites that you've had a baby yourself, what are we looking for? And I'll hold my opinion because I have strong opinions on this. I'll let you go first. But what are you looking for? What should you be looking for when you're looking for a healthcare provider or a doula to help support you in your birth? Yeah. So I think regardless of the type of birth you want... So whether you want all the medication in the world or not a single drop of it, um, I think you really need to feel comfortable with the people who are going to be with you. You need to feel like they are transparent, that they give education, that they give you all of the options. It shouldn't be the options that are most convenient for them or most convenient for their policies, but you need to know what all of your options are. And then somebody who supports you regardless of what you choose. And that that's not always a deal breaker of like, okay, I will support that. It's your body. It's your baby. This is all your decisions. (laughs) So um, I think that's a big thing. And through that process, you will develop a relationship of trust. I agree. So there's nothing worse than not being able to trust your provider, but you find yourself at 37, 38, 39 weeks finding this out. And then you're like, oh shit, I'm trapped. I don't have anywhere to go. I don't feel like I can change providers. I don't even know if I trust this person. So for me, and this is a personal thing, this is what I'll be looking for when I'm looking to put my birth team together. I want to know A, that you do support me in whatever I choose, but B, that you are educated on the entire spectrum of birth. Because like you mentioned with the hypnobirthing example, what if that is my goal, but it doesn't turn out that way. I need you to be able to pivot with my birth story as my provider and my doula. And so if you've hired someone based on one or two factors, when your birth doesn't hit that, 
you're going to be kind of up shit creek without a paddle because now your providers and your doula aren't able to pivot with your birth because their scope is so limited. But that's why you chose them. For me, it's really important to find someone who is well-rounded in all of the areas. And this is something I talk to with uh, people when they have discovery calls with me is, you know, let's talk about your ideal birth, but let's also talk about some things that you don't want and how our team might A, be able to help avoid that for you. But B, if we do see ourselves or find ourselves in this situation, what's our support going to look like? How are we going to pivot with you and with your birth story to be able to continue to support you, even though your birth has taken, you know, a right-hand turn and, and we have found ourselves in a place where we might not have wanted to be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is the area where I feel like childbirth education is so crucial. And it's just because, especially first-time parents, but I won't even say only first-time parents because I see it with parents having subsequent pregnancy, subsequent babies, uh, that they just don't even know what their options are. And you can't make decisions when you don't know your options. A lot of people tell me they don't even know what midwives are, what doulas are, what kind of support exists, that they even have any options. And sometimes they don't find out until they're taking these classes in their third trimester. And then, yeah, sometimes options are really limited. You know, sometimes you can make a light switch from a planned hospital birth to a planned home birth, um, depending if there's midwives available in your area who are open to that. But, um, you know, in general, it can be really hard to switch providers later on in pregnancy. And a lot of established practices have limitations in place that are just hard, fast rules. Um, so I feel like that's really the importance of really good childcare or I feel like that's the importance of really good experienced childbirth educators is that they understand what all the options are and you really want to take classes that are not associated with a hospital because those classes are really geared towards making you a good patient. (laughs) They don't teach you about your options. So I understand that they're appealing for people because they're covered by insurance. It's not an extra out-of-pocket cost, but as you know, people like you provide really great resources for families that um, can help them navigate all of this wealth of information and what their options are. And what's a good patient anyway? Like, what's the definition of a good patient? That is going to vary from provider to provider, from nurse to nurse. So if you're going in there thinking, oh, God, I hope my staff likes me. I hope my nurses think I'm a nice person. Like, dude, you're setting yourself up for a lot of heartache. You're not going in to be a nice person or be a good patient. You're going in there to have a baby, to write a new chapter in your life, to literally go in as one person and come out as a totally different different person. You've got to shed the weight of thinking what other people think about you. That cannot be part of your story. It will get you off course every single time. The minute that you start to 
concede on the things that you want or the things that you believe or the things that you don't want because you're afraid of making your medical staff angry or annoyed or just getting on their nerves or asking them to do too much, that is actively taken away from your birth story every single time. It's just so important to get rid of the idea that I hope I'm a good patient. I hope I don't make my medical team annoyed with me or angry because that's that's not what you're there for. Right. And it really is just the, the authority dynamics that unfortunately our country really struggles with, with um, medical providers. Unfortunately, we just think that their education or degrees or titles really set them off to be superior and have more knowledge and to understand the workings of our bodies better. Um, and really they should be seen as people to collaborate with. They're people that can be a resource, but when you're living in your own body, you know your body better than anybody else. And when you're pregnant, <laughs> you know your baby better than anybody else. And that intuition starts early. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to dive into this. So one of the telltale signs of a good provider for me is someone that will explicitly kind of have this conversation with you and say, yes, I'm the provider, I'm the OB, I'm the midwife, I'm the nurse, but you, my friend, know your body better than I ever will. You know your baby better than I ever will. A doctor or a midwife or a nurse, any provider that kind of goes along with this idea or perpetuates this idea that I know better than you because of my degrees, because of my experience, because of my title in this hospital, that for me is such a red flag. That means you're probably not a good provider because you think your education and your degrees rank above me, even though I'm the one living this experience. I'm the one pregnant. I'm the one experiencing sciatica. I'm the one up all night with this brand new baby. Um, so that is such a telltale sign that I think a lot of people totally miss or they don't even know to be on the lookout for it is having a provider that can step back and say, actually, you're still driving the boat here. Yeah. I mean, it's so shocking to me, the amount of people I talk to and I hand them an informed choice document about prenatal testing. And they're like, what are all these tests? And I'm like, these are the standard tests offered. And they're like, oh, I never knew what they were testing. And I'm like, oh, did you know they were testing for STIs? Do you know that a lot of places have it in the fine print that they will do drug screening on you and things like that without you like really explaining it to you. So um, I just think that there's a lot of points in pregnancy care, in medical care, where it's just assumed that you don't know enough, that you don't know enough to make a choice or that things are too complicated to make sense. But really all it does is take an effort of having a conversation with somebody and that requires some time. And that's not our time is money, really, in medical care. So um, that's why choosing a provider is really important. Choosing a birth team and knowing what your options are and being willing to do some research on your own time so that even if you're choosing all the interventions, you know what all of that entails and can be informed about what that means for you and your body and your baby. 
Absolutely. I don't think anybody on this podcast ever, none of our guests are ever arguing that, you know, you do things that you, you are just told, or you don't know what is happening. We're just simply saying it doesn't matter what you choose. Just make sure that you're informed about it. Not a lot of people come on our podcast and and say like, well, you absolutely should do this or should not do this more. So people are all always saying, if you're going to choose this, we want it to be informed. If you're going to choose this, we want you to know the risk and benefits. If you're going to choose this, we want you to know why you're choosing it and be confident in that. So let's talk about the patient responsibility that comes along with this. There is this idea, this like unspoken rule that patients don't know enough to be informed, or they're not smart enough to understand, or it would take too long to educate them. Patients have a little bit of a responsibility in perpetuating this idea because so many of us do just go in there and follow blindly. And that just furthers this whole idea of, well, they'll do exactly what we say because they're not smart enough to know any different. Oh, yeah. This is a massive problem. And um, it really is common in our society because we do have to agree to so many, like, terms and services. Every time your technology updates, every time, I don't know, you sign on to a new website or create an account somewhere, you're asked to like agree to terms and services. And almost nobody reads any of the small print. And it's very similar in pregnancy um, or any medical care. I think most people get handed informed consents before surgeries and don't really read through them um, or chemo treatments or any kind of things. And they just sign it away thinking, okay, well, this is for my best interest. This is what the best option is being presented to me. Um, And there's just a lot of assumptions in there. There really are. And so um, doctors will always offer informed consents um, and that's what they call them. And they don't really talk about your right to refuse things and they use strong language like refuse, which I'm picky about language. I prefer the word decline, Um, but um, it's just being able to know what your options are and, and being educated and having things available, educational things available. So that means that sometimes you do get handouts and things like that. And most of the time, I know that goes to your home, to your junk pile, and doesn't really get uncovered by the time you need to make a decision for your next visit. Um, So it's always an option to just defer whatever it is until you have more time to research it. You know, you can delay your uh, lab work for another visit. It's okay. okay. Yeah, you bring up such a good point that I don't think a lot of people realize is when something is offered to you at your prenatal appointment, it doesn't have to be done right then. It's just being offered. This is just like the standard time that we are typically doing this test or this lab draw or this procedure, but you always have the option to say, not right now, I'm going to go home and think about this. And if I decide I want to do it, we can do it at the next time that I am in the office. Or if it is, um, you know, time sensitive, which very few things in pregnancy are super time sensitive. You know, if, if you can't wait until the next time that you're in, maybe you go home, you think about it, you do some research, you consult some people that you trust that you know 
are reputable sources in this field. And then you may go back for an additional appointment to get that lab, that procedure, that test done. Um, but it, it very rarely has to be done in that moment. And I think that peer pressure of like, well, this is what we do. This is what we've always done. This is just what your prenatal appointment is going to consist of today really gets to people. And they succumb to the pressure of like, oh no, I, I didn't think I could say no. I didn't know I could say no. I didn't even know I could delay it. And that's hard. And, and for me, yes, there's a lot of responsibility in the, the patient and the consumer in that, but more so for me, I believe that the responsibility lies in your healthcare providers to be able to have that very unbiased conversation to say, this is what we typically do at this prenatal appointment. This is why we're doing it. This is why we do it at this week. However, if it doesn't feel aligned to you, please know that you can decline it, or you can always do it later if you decide you want to do it. And right now, isn't the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that just goes back to knowing what your options are and getting the good education. Um, and really it's just <clears throat> from a provider's perspective, they have checklists basically. And that's because most providers are caring for a lot of different people in different stages of their pregnancy. And so different labs are offered at different points in pregnancy. And so there's just kind of a checklist to go on to make sure you don't miss anything. And that people are offered everything that is standardly offered in our country. Um, and so the bigger your practice, especially when you're going to an OBGYN, they have hundreds of clients. They have hundreds of patients. They have hundreds of people that they're seeing. And that's why they can only spend five to 10 minutes with you. And so they need those checklists because if they're seeing 50 people that day, 30 people that day, they are not going to remember exactly where you're at, what you've chosen, what you haven't. And so it's really important to really be in the driver's seat of your pregnancy and be making these decisions for your body and your baby. So the whole idea of like, I just feel like another number isn't just a feeling. You are kind of just another number at big practices. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I do home births, so I have about two to five people do a month. So it's a lot easier for me to spend the time and get to know people and remember. But even then, if I'm really tired or it's been a birth, I'm not always going to remember um, what we were supposed to talk about that day. And there's things that providers can do to kind of help with that, with pre-charting, making notes in your chart, things like that. But it still gets hard and it still really should be um, more on the responsibility part of the parents to just know what they're wanting as far as their care and pregnancy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you, you bring up a good point. So a lot of people go into pregnancy, really not knowing what they want. Right. And so if you don't have, I call this your North star, we help people kind of figure out their North star when they, when they work with our team for their birth. But if you don't have a North star, you don't know where you're going. Your partner doesn't know where you're going. Your providers don't know where you're going. No one knows where your birth is supposed to head. And this I think is 
so indicative of why it's important to think through your choices. Yes, a birth plan, but you don't have to actually write out a birth plan, but just knowing where you want your birth to go, your ideal birth, your goals in your birth, your preferences in that experience is so helpful and beneficial to not just you, but also your team that is supporting you. It gives us all a North Star. It gives us all a place that we're headed towards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're just going to be put, our country has a very good like default factory setting for birth. And it is just like, you will just be led where the machine takes you. Yep. (laughs) You'll just be on a conveyor belt. That's all it is. Man, that's so, that is, that pill is so hard for me to swallow the conveyor belt birth. It devastates me. It really does gut me. So can we circle back to something that you said earlier, talking about the fine print that a lot of people don't read? What are some other things that we may find in that fine print? For me, one of the examples that is just so blatantly like in your face is the way that hospitals birth facilities, not so much home birth. Um, we, we really don't ever see this in home birth, but facilities, they want to share all of the risk of VBAC, but no one's going to talk to you about the risk of a repeat C-section, even though we know that the risk of a repeat C-section is higher than the risk of VBAC for most people. What are some other examples of things that hospitals may not be as open and transparent about? And as a consumer, you've got to know the inside and out so that you can truly get this unbiased care. Oh man, there are so many, and I really don't want to sound biased with this, but um, epidurals, I find even most childbirth education classes that I have either taught or read the curriculum of do not even scratch the surface of epidurals. And this is a huge thing because some people, again, going back to having different birth plans, some people really need an epidural for a lot of different reasons. Some people have past trauma. Some people have had like hip surgery, like people have had all kinds of conditions and may not have um, the mental health or physical health to want to endure or be able to endure, um, you know, a really physiological birth that will just unfold with lots of movement and coping with the intensity. And so, there's just not knowledge about there that an epidural might not even work for you. It's not a guarantee. And a lot of people hang their plans just on that. And it's like, okay, but what if that doesn't happen? Or what if your birth goes so quickly? Or what if the anesthesiologist is tied up in surgeries? Like there's all kinds of things that can happen. And that's why it's really important to have your team with you Um, But I would say as far as other fine print, it's just asking, again, being educated and asking your providers what their kind of default settings are, Um, trying to have those conversations with them. A lot of uh, one big one that a lot of people don't know of is that in facilities or in hospitals mainly that you know, you're generally given Pitocin across the board right after you've had your baby. And so many people don't know that. They're like, oh, I didn't have any Pitocin or medication during my labor. But even then, 
it is almost always given to people after having their baby. And nobody knows that because you're just like, there's a gazillion people in the room. You're holding your new baby. Everything's a little bit overwhelming and you're just kind of enjoying the moment too of being with your baby. So you're not really paying attention to all of the things that are being done to you um, around that time. And so I think there's so many areas or so many other options that you can just learn about that might feel like a better fit. Like sometimes we have clients that are really afraid of needles. And so certain tests or certain testing intervals don't work for them. And so it's knowing just what your options are and being educated about that. And um, for some people that have had issues with the glucose tolerance test before, uh, there are alternatives that are good for being able to see what your body is doing metabolically. And that's really what the test is to try to screen for. Um, but it's just not a standard option for most practices. And so again, just goes back to having good resources, having good education. Yeah, I agree. So talking about the epidural risk, um, listeners, YouTubers in the birth lounge, we have a whole entire module on uh, epidural use. We also have an evidence-based guide to epidural use. That's just a PDF download that talks about the benefits and the risk and the medications and the actual procedure of getting an epidural. Um, we talk to you about all sides. I don't think Tatiana or I are arguing for or against epidural. It's mainly that if you're going to choose an epidural or you think that that's best for you, that you do understand the risks that come along with it. And you understand the procedure that is going to happen to put that epidural in. Um, I agree with you that so many people benefit from an epidural. I think that we all come to birth with our own stories and our own background and even baggage. I mean, humans just have baggage and it's going to impact your birth. And I also have been to so many births where our goal was unmedicated labor and we reached a place in birth where really an epidural was the best option. And once we got the epidural, we were able to achieve all of our other birth goals, even though we weren't successful in having an unmedicated delivery. Epidurals are, they're not bad, you guys. They get a really bad rap, but they're not bad. They're simply a tool in your toolbox. And if you know how and when to appropriate you appropriately use them, they can really be a game changer in your birth, 100%. And Tatiana, it's so interesting to hear you talk about the Pitocin given after birth. This is, it has to be right up there with unconsented membrane sweeps. This has got to be one of the most unconsented practices that we see, we as in the Tranquility by Hee team sees in hospitals is that routine Pitocin after birth. Very rarely is a nurse going to come up to you and actually ask your consent and say, hey, Dr. Jones has asked for me to give you some Pitocin for, for your bleeding, for your uterus, for, you know, for nothing. It's just standard practice. Are you okay with that? Most of the time you're hearing an OB holler out like, all right, give me so many CCs of pit. And then they just push it. And no one is getting this patient, this client, this human's permission to put this medication in their body. And I think that is an idea that is so lost on medical providers is 
you're so used to giving people medication. It's just kind of what you do. For this human, you never know how their body is going to react to that. And you don't know how often they put medication in their body. So for someone who lives a life that they really don't have that much medication, giving them a standard dose of Pitocin might be too much. I have seen so many people have that routine Pitocin pushed after birth, and they will share that the Pitocin contractions after birth are much more painful and kind of emotionally traumatizing than the contractions that happened with their labor. And I think I have to believe partly it's because they weren't in the know. They didn't get to make that decision. It was done to them. And that's always going to cause trauma. Yeah. And this again, just goes back to a lot of providers or yeah, just healthcare providers, assuming that they know better. They have their reasonings for it. Anytime you question things in a hospital setting, I mean, I've been in a hospital setting both as a doula and as a midwife, and um, but not with a midwife as privileges. So I've just been there as a guest visitor. Um, it's it's almost never awkward. Like it's almost never met well to question things very much. Um, it's always like, we do this because it's in the best interest of everybody. And it's like, well, is it though? Is it, is it really? <laughs> Maybe, you know, for whatever other percentage of people, but what about this person? And that's really where things get lost is for that nurse, that might be the fifth birth she sees during her shift and she might be really tired. And for that OB, this might be the easy birth on other births that are going on that are like really complicated. So they're like, let's just wrap up this easy one so I can move on to managing these other complications. And it is just back to being a number. Whereas this is a life-changing experience for you. No matter how many babies you have, every birth is life changing because you will never go back to not having that child in your life or that child not existing in that way. And it's so hard to see, again, just kind of this factory mentality happening of like, they're pushing their products. They're trying to wrap this up in a nice bow. They're trying to get their profit out of everything. And it's not really about your experience. They're not acknowledging this is your child's birth. This is a day that you became a mother. This is a day that you both became parents. This is a day that after years of fertility treatments, you guys have dreamed up. This is a day that after three miscarriages, you finally have a baby that's taking a breath. Like they don't ever acknowledge the humanity and the story that comes behind everything that has every before everything that came that day and for them it's just another Wednesday in the office it's just another eight hour shift for them they go home and have dinner and take their shower and go to bed like every other day that they go into the office and for you it changes you on a cellular level and so I think that disconnect is huge where you do you see your providers they carry out 
this idea that this is just another day in the office for me. So I, I'd love to shift to home birth midwifery before we wrap up and talk about the difference in, you know, you just mentioned that your provider may be managing four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 other births on the floor at that same exact moment when you're also having your babies, things like big snowstorms, um, hurricanes, full moons, these things make our L&D units kind of crazy. It really fills up the beds in an L&D unit. And so depending on when your baby is born, you may find yourself on a very full L&D unit. You're not going to have that at home birth. There, there are just so many differences because the roles in a hospital setting don't translate to home birth because a midwife really is a little bit of a doula. Well, some midwives, I won't say that about every midwife, <laughs> um, but I would say for me, at least a little bit of a doula, a little bit of a nurse and a little bit of a doctor when it's needed. And it's just like this combination, whereas you have to have very separate, distinct assigned roles in a hospital um, home birth tends to be a little bit more fluid. Your birth team will pitch in in the ways to best support you at any moment. And so sometimes that is like a midwife coming closer to early labor sometimes. Not all midwives are, again, willing to, but with home birth, it can be a lot more flexible and fluid. I love to hear you say that. So our team predominantly attends hospital births just because I think that's where our nation is, right? Like about 2% of people are having their babies at home right now. And that's only 2% because of COVID. It used to be 1%. Um, but, you know, 98% of people are having their, their babies in the hospital. And so that's predominantly what we see. The energy, the outcomes, the team, the fluidity, the just overall feeling of a home birth compared to a hospital birth is so different. It's like night and day at a home birth, our team will be cooking dinner. We will be cleaning up. We'll be emptying the tub. We may scoop your poop out of your birth pool at a hospital. You don't see that overlap. And it's interesting to hear you talk about the very specific roles. I feel like in a home birth, people really leave their ego out of it. It doesn't matter what role you play. Obviously, your doula is not going to be doing cervical exams. Um, you know, we won't be doing medical stuff, but we leave our ego out of it as in we don't care what role we serve as long as everyone is focused on this birthing person. In the hospital, very different. Your nurses have a very specific role and they don't step outside of that. Your OBs have a very specific role and they don't step outside of it because they think they're better than that, but they also don't want anyone encroaching in on their space, right? And so we can see this dynamic play out. Sometimes it does cause some really tense energy, some tension within the L&D unit itself and, and specifically within your birth room when the people on your, your team, so that nurse and that provider, they may be having problems between themselves. They may not get along. They may have two different ways or approaches in practicing. All of this is going to impact your birth. And for me personally, I just don't see it. And I've never experienced that in home birth. I just don't think it's part of home birth. No, it's really not. Um, I think even when there are professional differences between people in a birth team, it's very understood at a home birth that that is not allowed in the space. And so 
it's then not about how we necessarily interact with each other, but it's all meeting the needs of the parents. And so what that looks like is sometimes your midwife is going to step in and do some counter pressure so that the doula can have a break and go get some water and a snack and go pee. And then, you know, then the doula will come back and take over for a partner. And it just, the roles can switch up a lot more to help meet the needs. And sometimes, you know, the doula is whispering the affirmations and sometimes the midwife will swoop in with an affirmation, just reminding how strong they are. And that's really all they need. And sometimes it is just guiding partners' hands to know where to support them and how to help. Um, And we just stay. There is no like waiting for the next shift change. We're just there to support and there to help as much as possible. And I understand that certain practices have different dynamics and sometimes midwives switch out, but it's always somebody that you would know. Um, And it's the same thing with with doulas. Sometimes I know that doulas can can do that also, but, uh, you know, it's harder in the hospital setting when you have you know, maybe a nurse that you're butting more heads with, or you don't feel like is respecting your choices as much, you're really just counting down the time till there's a shift change or counting down the time until there's another nurse available to switch out. And that's such a hard thing when birth as a hormonal process relies on you feeling safe. Yep. Your environment is everything. And that sucks to not have the control to be able to choose who is coming to your birth. And you don't, right? Of course you get to choose like who your OB is, but is that OB going to be on call when you're there? Are they going to be out of the country? Are they going to be on vacation? Are they going to be at a different hospital? And then your nurses, you definitely don't get to choose your nurses. Sometimes we see that the nurses that you see in your prenatals are a totally separate group of nurses then actually work on LMD. So maybe throughout your prenatals, you've gotten to love three or four nurses because you've seen them your whole entire pregnancy. You get to LMD and you're like, hey, where's Laura? Oh yeah, no, she works in the clinic. She doesn't work on LMD. And you're like, what the heck? It is just so unreal to me that we sell this idea to parents as you're safe, you're in control, you get to make the decisions in the hospital. And then once you're really in there, you don't, you don't get to make those decisions and you're not in control. And it's actually money and funding and insurance and staffing and admin that are pulling all the strings, not you. But that's not what we get at home birth. When you choose your home birth midwifery practice, those are the people who are truly showing up for you. Those are the people you're seeing in your prenatals. Those are the faces and the voices and the energies that are going to be at your birth. And you can count on that. There's not going to be any sort of wool pulled over your eyes at the last minute. And I think so many people experience that nasty bait and switch in the hospital system. And it's traumatizing. I mean, it's traumatizing for me to watch it. It's traumatizing for people who are experiencing it. And I think whether they want to admit it or not, I do believe that the medical staff inside hospitals also recognize on a cellular level that they are doing trauma to the people inside their hospitals. Absolutely. So I do have clients that work in hospital settings. I have clients who are nurses that work in hospitals. I've had clients who are doctors 
Um, I just had a birth last month with a midwife who works in a hospital setting and they all recognize that that is not the environment that they want to be cared for in. And I've had a lot of people, so a couple of things have come to mind. I've had a couple, well, this is actually a pretty common question. I live in a bigger city. So San Diego is a pretty big city. So we have, I don't know, six, eight hospitals in our county where there's labor and delivery units. And so people will be like, what's the best hospital? Your house. I have no answer for them because I'm like, no matter what, it's you're playing roulette. You're playing roulette of good providers, of somebody who feels good going into work, who's not in a bad mood, who's not too tired, who doesn't have other crabby patients that they're taking care of. And it really is, there is no control. And we do have like three-ish good doctors that are on call for their own patients. So they take a certain load every month that is limited. So, you know, they book up in the early second trimester time. So really even by the time people are getting an education, they're not available. They don't have any space. And even for them, like, again, in a hospital setting, you're mainly dealing with the nurses. Yes, they are their treatment plans are based off of the physician's orders, but even when you have a good doctor, you're still playing relay with who the nurses are on that unit that day. And it's so tricky. It's just so tricky. <laughs> and there are so many things that I've seen in a hospital, like babies being pulled out instead of, you know, letting their babies just be born naturally with the next contraction. You know, it's very natural for a head to be born and then for a couple of minutes to pass and then for the body to be born. And it doesn't all have to happen at the same time. Sometimes it does and that's fun, but it's really normal for it to take be in stages also. And so I've seen babies be pulled out and then not be really given to mom or, you know, be rushed off to the warmer without a mom being able to hold her baby for the first time. And there is a natural transition window for babies. You know, they are connected to the umbilical cord as long as that's not cut too soon. And mom is still breathing for baby. Mom is still sending oxygenated blood to the baby through that umbilical cord. So it's a natural built-in transition time for the baby. The baby doesn't need to cry right away. They don't need all that vigorous stimulation right away. There are exceptions where babies do need help, but the vast majority of babies will transition on their own just fine, especially when they're being held by their parents. It is so interesting to hear you talk about people who work within the healthcare system that don't want to birth within the healthcare system. That is such a... (laughs) What? That is so just mind-blowing to me. It reminds me of the documentary, Why Not Home? Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, I think she's an OBGYN and, and she does this whole documentary of why she's choosing to have her baby at home. Um, And there's a portion in the documentary where she's actually talking to her colleagues and they're like, Oh, why are you doing a home birth? Uh, You work within the hospital. You don't have your baby with us. And she's very frank with them. And she just says like, yeah, I, I think home is the best place for me. It's, it's lower risk. I'm low risk. And I think it's just more conducive to my birth goal. So if you guys haven't seen that, you can maybe find it on Amazon TV. Maybe it's 
somewhere else. You'd have to Google it. I'm not really sure um, where you could find Why Not Home, but it's a really, really great documentary on um, people within the healthcare system who choose to birth outside of the healthcare system. Oh my goodness, Tatiana. This was absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for you being here with us today. So if anybody in the San Diego area wanted to work with you or, you know, something you said really resonated with them and they were like, I got to have this lady at my birth, how might they reach out to you and where can people find you on Instagram? Sure. Everything is under the same title. So it's all birthwavesmidifree.com. Um, and Instagram is just at birthwaves midwifery and waves is plural. So, yeah. You guys, I hope that you have enjoyed hanging out with two birth workers that don't have children of their own. And I hope that through this conversation, you've really been able to understand how having children of your own doesn't equate to education or experience or even the capability of properly being able to support someone on the entire spectrum of their birth journey, being able to pivot with them as their birth pivots, being able to support them when things don't go according to plan, being able to support them when things do go according to plan. And it still is different than what you thought it might turn out to be. We will see you next week on another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Until then, take care. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community, and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.